You're listening to the Mangroves to Mountains podcast, where we talk all things outdoors, hunting, fishing, paddling, camping, adventure travel, and more. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, if you'd like to support the podcast, please go to Patreon and search up Jim Dusayas. Thanks a lot. Okay. Mike Davenport, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Jim. I'm good. Good to see you. You too. It's been a long time since uh, we've seen each other. Yeah, man. I follow you on Facebook and Instagram, but yeah, just we haven't been face to face, so to speak, in quite a while. But I was thinking about that. It was uh, about 15 years ago when I met you. Was that really uh, that? Holy. It's been, yeah, my son was about three or four, and uh, I came to hunt. Uh, I wanted to shoot an Osceola really yeah. bad with a recurve. And so we came and, and spent some time with you. And I had my kid in the blind with me. I remember so, that. That's now right. he's bigger than both of us. <laughs> Definitely bigger than me. <laughs> right. Big kid. Yeah. Is he yeah. still in college? Yes, he, he is. Okay. He's a sophomore. He's uh, he's in the pre-med curriculum. So he's he's studying all the time. He's Mr. Serious when it comes to school. So um, he's just, uh, you know, he's at school getting after it. So I'm happy That's for awesome. him. Good for him. Yeah. yeah, we're looking at schools for my son Nick. He's a senior in high school, so he got in. He got a, and he was accepted at two art schools. Of course, wow. the two schools that he wants to go to, but they're also the two most expensive schools <laughs> in the southeast, at least for fine art and for illustration. So we're uh, we're gonna try to get creative with our financing and see what we can do. But right. uh, he's so talented. I mean, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Is, I see some of his stuff that you post is pretty amazing. Yeah, he blows me away. I mean, and he's just a kid still. So yeah, but, yeah appreciate that. So what, what's what's new? You were saying you just uh, you were just in Alabama, right? Yeah, we, we came down to Alabama, uh, took a couple of days for R&R, um, lured my wife down here. They have a shoot ASA, the Archery Shooters Association. Uh, they have six pro-ams a year, and uh, so I try to shoot in Sarah. I shot in all of them last year, and so we uh, drove down, spent a couple of days to kind of get some R&R, and then I shoot uh, two competitive rounds this weekend. Mm-hmm. So. Pretty cool. So um, have you always been into combat competitive archery, or was that like a – did that which, – which happened first? I assume the hunting, but I don't know. Yeah, if definitely, definitely hunting. Um I started bow hunting uh, 35 years ago, so I was a I was a younger, much younger guy bow hunting. I, the very first year um, that I killed was um, I went to a pawn shop. I was 16, and I had gotten uh, just an old fiberglass recurve with mismatched arrows, and taught myself to shoot in the backyard. And I shot a deer the the first season. Wow! And then, and then the first you know the first uh, compound I shot I think I was in college so I switched to compound and and hunted and and started competing with a compound just local shoots and then uh, I think it was like four years ago after I'd already switched to shooting trad I started switch I switched to trad about 2003 Mm -hmm. and uh, started competing as just a way and an adjunct just to get uh, those competitive juices going and to try to replicate some of that anxiety you feel when a big buck walks in and so it's kind of been a catalyst for where I'm where I'm at now. I still I compete pretty hard now, both indoor and outdoor. Uh, last year I shot in six of the um, all six of the ASAs, 
I was lucky enough to be on all six podiums and won three of them. Wow, that's amazing. That's so I, I, impressive. I found it to be, it's, it's just a really it's a competitive environment that allows you to compete within yourself, really, and try to replicate some of that, that anxiety and that, that, that shot panic that comes in, you know, when you have to make a really tight shot or you have to uh, keep it together when a, when, a, when a big animal comes in. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. And you're you're a lifetime lifelong athlete too. I mean, you've always competed in something, right? Yeah, I played uh, played college basketball and then uh, had some injuries. Uh, only I played three years and then uh, got into martial arts. Uh, did taekwondo first, then some boxing, then sambo. Uh, trained um, fought uh, Muay Thai. So I did uh, several years of Muay Thai and had a few fights, uh, just kind of amateur club type stuff. But and then uh, those sound like they'd be those sound like they'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, it it really was. You know, you. Yeah, I I actually, you know, I'm sort of being facetious, but at the same time, I could because I was in martial arts, too, for a long time. And I could see it actually being a lot of fun. (laughs) It it really it really was. I mean, you go Muay Thai is, is just that it's it's a really tough art. And I, I was trained in San Francisco. I, I did a, uh, it was almost like a tryout for Fairtex. It's where you go in and you go to a camp and you train and like, and then they kind of give you a club fight. And uh, I was training with all these little Filipino guys and, you know, I was the biggest guy in the room and I'm they sure. could my clock. They would, <laughs> you know, we would, we would train so hard. They would stay out late. I might've stayed out late a couple of times, but those guys are amazing. They could stay out and party all night and then come in the gym and kick my butt, you know? So, wow. but it was, it was one of those things that you gravitated now to jujitsu. And, um, I love, I love martial arts and hopefully I'll be a martial artist my, the rest of my life. You know, I'm sure you will be. Yeah. I see pictures of you with, uh, master Hoist Gracie and yeah. just, that just, yeah. So, that guy's so envious, man. That's just so cool. Such an <laughs> honor. He's a legend. Yeah, it is an honor. And he's, uh, you know, what's really cool is I, I had both my kids in, in jiu-jitsu and my son got his blue belt, which is, um, you know, the first adult belt. Um, he got it when he was 16. Um, and he still rolls around with me and trains a little, but not really. My daughter, um, tra- they've been training since they were little bitty kids. And she just got her blue belt from Master Hoist not too long ago. So wow. it was it was a neat night. She got her blue belt from from Voice, and then soon thereafter, I got my purple belt from Voice. So it was a it was a pretty cool night. Wow! If you're gonna get a belt from anybody, who better to get it from? Yeah. <laughs> my gosh, like a living yeah. legend. Yeah, and and you know his black belt, Jared, who's my good friend, um, and he's who I train under. Hoist is it's a Hoist Gracie school. Yeah, but you know, I guess Jared has been training with the Gracies since he was. 15 he trained under uh elio which is uh hoist's dad mm-hmm. uh, oh really did, yeah became um you know just he he won the gracie cup when he was either 18 or 19 which is a competition they have at the gracie academy in in uh california so he's uh he's well connected with that art and it's uh you know it's an honor to have that that little academy that we train at so close you know with that quality of instruction, you know, I get to go and roll with unbelievable guys every Friday. It's, it's, um, 
I take a black belt lesson. So I take a lesson with Jared and then I roll with, you know, all manner of really good jujitsu players. So, you know, that we compete every Friday, you know, it's, it's a competitive environment. Yeah, that's great. And that's, that's way you get better, right? Train with people that's that right. are better than you. Exactly. You go and, and even, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a different way to think of it as I'm aging. And I realize at 51, I don't have the physical skills that I used to have, but jujitsu gives you some chess play, playing ability. Yeah. So you, uh, we get a bunch of, you know, we get some younger guys in that are um, athletic and uh, you know, white belts that maybe they wrestled in high school. So you're, uh, you know, physically you're at a disadvantage. And so it, it makes you appreciate the art because you're kind of uh you'd be a scalp for them. You know, it's like, Hey, if I can catch a purple belt and tap yeah. it, you know, there's no shame in tapping. I tap. Everything. Not at all. Yeah. But it's, but it's a, a, a unique art in the fact that, you know, when you're rolling with someone who's more athletic than you, you have to use jujitsu. That's right. And when you're rolling with someone who's, who's better than you at jujitsu, you're just trying to survive, you know, then it's just <laughs> how long, how long can I survive before this guy strangles me? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know um, for the listeners, Mike and I, we both watch most, if not all the UFC events. And we often through the night, we're texting each other, like, what, the, what were they thinking with that decision? <laughs> right. You're, totally more You're more of a stand-up guy. You love to see the action standing up. Yes. And, yeah. And, and me being a jiu-jitsu guy, I love it when they go to the ground and, it's it's kind of a dichotomy of of what fight fans like you know and yes and, uh, yeah. i've been in, i've my wife and i went to a couple of ufc events and you know it's so funny to hear you can tell who's who in the crowd like the minute they go to the mat there's there's uh there's strike you know guys that love striking you're like stand them up you know yeah. yeah it could be just like seconds away from choking the guy out stand them up stand them up right right <laughs> Yeah, it's that's interesting. That's funny though. You know, I went to the first. I, I went to a UFC. It was the brawl in Buffalo. I think it was in 1991. I oh, can't wow. remember who, who probably 93. 93. Uh, yeah, 93 was the fur the first year. That was that was the um, Hoist's first one. That was in Colorado, I believe. But um, there were, you know, some of the early ones were. Uh, you know, they build it. Uh, a certain way but um they had they had to go in strategic areas because some states wouldn't allow them wouldn't allow have, it. yeah yeah the ufc or any kind of cage fighting and, and my buddy and i were huge martial arts guys and just really into it and he bought tickets front row tickets so oh wow yeah it was I, you know i have to look i'll have to do some research to think of it's guys you would have heard of but it wasn't hoist oh, yeah. it was it was guys yeah. you definitely would have heard of i just can't think it was a long time ago but um so many of them ended so quickly at that time because the guys that couldn't defend jujitsu were tapped out or something broke you know within sometimes within seconds like 10 seconds into the fight it's over and i was like what just yeah. happened you know actually at right. home at home it's better to watch in a way because just like football in a way because you can you know they saw replays and they back in those days didn't have the big screens and everything you just if you missed it you missed it you know so yeah it was very different where fights now go I think because they had to get good at defending jujitsu. Now a lot of them are stand-up fights, you know. Right there, you know that that's it's such a superpower when it at least at the beginning when it came to martial arts because 
um, you know, I was a huge Bruce Lee fan. I, and my brothers, you know, got a black belt in karate and we took Taekwondo. So I love striking arts. But when you watch those early UFCs, you realize um, that once it got drugged down to the mat, it was pretty well over. Yeah. Um, but as as what happened with a lot of things, you you have to become more well-rounded. You start you started seeing these big tough wrestlers that had great ground and pound learning jujitsu and learning to strike. And then you had so now there's this cross training, continuous cross training. It's so unique to watch because you can have a a great jujitsu player who doesn't strike that well still knock somebody out. Yeah. And vice versa, you can have somebody who's not great at maybe striking is their best, but they know enough jujitsu to at least defend and get it back to the feet, you know? Yeah. The interesting things happened in the last few years. I'm sure you're aware of this is that there are guys uh, like before it was specialists. You were either a wrestler or a boxer. Now there's got kids that just are coming up that have only done MMA. Yeah. That's all they've done. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's a combination a of things. A while back, uh, Northcutt was a, a kid that was yeah, in sage. the UFC. Yeah. He's, I mean, unreal athlete. That's all he he had done MMA, you know, where they they had done cross training from karate. He was he had a karate background, but he was also you know pretty good grappler. And uh, to see those guys, um, you know, kind of blend in. Uh, if you think about you know being able to strike, having some wrestling, and then having you know submission stuff, um, that's kind of the game now. You yeah. kind of that's why the fights are lasting, you know five rounds and they're both beaten to a pulp because it's pretty evenly matched. Yes. Yep. You don't see too many blowouts anymore. It's rare. Yeah. Even yeah, if, it takes even a if it's a knockout, I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, one punch can change the fight obviously, but if that punch hadn't landed, it might've been a five rounder, <laughs> you, know right. I mean? exactly. I guess you, you know, but um, yeah, maybe we should get, I could talk about this stuff all night. But we sure. should get back to the hunting a little bit. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. So you want to talk a little bit about, um, like when you, did you start hunting with a bow or did you start like most of us hunting with a 22 for squirrels or how did did it happen for you? Well, I had, I had a really interesting upbringing. Um, I, uh, my dad was a big hunter, but he was in prison for most of my life. So he had, he was in a lot of trouble in and out of trouble. So I, I had the, the want to, but I didn't have an opportunity. And, um, I hunted, I lived in a little neighborhood and uh, there was a a friend of mine's dad who hunted and they, they had a youth hunt. One of the, one of the older guys in the, in the hunting club, you know, knew that I loved to hunt and invited me. And uh, I went and took the hunter safety course at like 11. No, I was 12. I think borrowed his um, Winchester 94 old lever action and uh, shot my first deer um, before that, I'd started just uh, with a, you know, with a 22, like you said, uh, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, whatever I could hunt, you know, and, and uh, it kind of progressed. Once I started deer hunting, it just kind of changed a lot for me. You know, I was instantly in love with it and, and, and you know, got to, I grew up in West Tennessee, so we, we rifle hunted quite a bit um, and did that until I could, until I could drive. But it was definitely a, a big push in, in my life. The hunting's been part of my life since I can remember and, you know, still is and hopefully will be, you know. Yes. And then uh, the archery bug, when did that hit you? Yeah. So 
I, I started shooting a bow, my friend's bow at like 14, 15, but I didn't get that um, recurve till I was about 16, like I said, out of a pawn shop. And then, yeah. uh, you know, very, very first, uh, I think it was a, either the first or second hunt is before we even had tree stands. I climbed up in a, in an oak tree and was just kind of standing on a limb and uh, some deer came by and I, I made a shot on a, on a nice doe and surprised myself, surprised my mom. I think my mom had dropped me out. I don't think I even had a car and she shows back up and she's a single mom, you know, she's just dropping her kid out to hunt and she pulls up and I've got a, a deer, you know, to put in the back of the station wagon. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just, you know, <laughs> just dragging a bloody deer in the back of the station wagon to get home. And then I got home and hung it in the yard. Um, Cause you know, that was kind of the thing to do. And sure. And everybody started stopping by to see, you know, who had shot the deer. And, and uh, I'd shot, I mean, it was a very proud moment. Um, and, and now looking back, talking to my mom, I didn't realize it. You know, we weren't, we were pretty poor. And uh, she's, she's told me several times since, like, you know, we didn't have a lot of meat until you started hunting. And looking back, it's like, yeah, I, I can remember, like, sitting down to eat. And we just had lots of vegetables, which there's nothing wrong with that. But right. Mm-hmm. Once we started hunting, once that first deer, uh, once I got that first deer, it was, it was over. I was, I was 100% obsessed. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my mother, my dad was not an outdoorsman. He liked the fact that I was, but he just wasn't interested. So I was kind of self-taught, but my mom was, uh, grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, Western Oklahoma. So she'd a lot, seen a lot of dead animals and, you know, plucked chickens and none wow. of that bothered her. But every time I'd get a deer, she'd, it'd be the team effort to break it down. Yeah. And she'd usually yeah. be running the hand cranker, crying the venison <laughs> burger. And yeah, so it does, those are some of my fondest memories. She, she died in 2011. Every time I, and to this day, every time I, I take a deer, I, she's the first person I think of calling, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great memories. And you, you can't, you can't really, um, it's hard to explain to other people, you know, I think hunting gives us and leaves such an indelible mark, especially even though like the processing part of it, you know, my children have known where their food comes from, from the get go. There's no, it, you know, whenever I cook something really good, I look down and I call it an honest plate. And, and for the longest time, my daughter, uh, and still doesn't really like to eat domesticated meat. She would rather eat wild game. And I've got pictures upon pictures of the kids helping me break down an animal, um, you know, making dishes. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that it's a good feeling. And if you can tie in those other feelings of like with your mom and Mm -hmm. even my mom as well, it's like, it means something, you know? For sure. Those are the lasting memories. And now when I have um, like a, I don't really order, steaks i've never really been a big but when i have it now like in a restaurant or even a hamburger it tastes so salty to me it just <laughs> so over seasoned to make it palatable right and my my wife mary lucy she just absolutely loves venison you know just fill all your tags you know she could eat we, and we do eat it year round and my son's hunting now so he takes a deer every year now so uh we have a freezer full of venison and i think eventually we're going to move to North Carolina and I'll have more deer hunting opportunities. I got plenty of pig hunting, you know, but, uh, right. we, we prefer the venison between the two, I'd say. Oh yeah. Venison is so good. Our, uh, you know, I shot a moose this year 
and I shot a mountain goat and we have our venison. And I would say hands down the venison, our, our whitetails, man, they're so good to eat. I mean, nothing wrong with our moose. I mean, I brought home 400 pounds of moose meat from British wow. Columbia. Yeah. And then I brought home, you know, I probably have 80 or 90 pounds of mountain goat meat and those are both great. But, you know, if you ask my kids what they would rather have, uh, my wife as well, she, they would say venison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people really love moose meat. I think it's probably like most game. It depends what they're eating. Although I guess yeah. moose is pretty consistent across their, their range. Yeah. But with whitetails, it could be huge, you know, differences in what they eat geographically, right. you know. A Florida yeah, deer is probably going to taste different than an Illinois deer, you know. Yeah, and our, I would say, you know, growing up in West Tennessee, I don't remember our deer tasting that as good as the, the ones do and <laughs> that are eating beans and, and uh, corn down here, you know. It makes sense, yeah. Yep, and then uh, I lost my train of thought there. It was about food. And I've noticed you, you're, um, you're really into cooking game. Yeah. Game specifically or just cooking in general? I just enjoy cooking in general, but specifically I try to take wild game and turn it into gourmet food. There's a couple of chefs that I follow. One's a, a guy named Hank Shaw. Yeah. And he's done, he's done several books. I, I, I rip him off continuously. Like <laughs> I'll go to his, uh, he has a, a website, hunt gather, hunt gather gardener cook, I think, but it's a uh, honestfood.net. I believe it, it is. I'll give a little plug to him, but um, yeah, I, I try to cook. What I want to try to do is I want to take the cuts that we use, the big muscle cuts, and turn them into really good food. And what I found is even like the shanks where um, there's a dish called asabuco, which is mm -hmm. uh, it's a cross cut of a calf's, you know, forearm, essentially, mm -hmm. four leg. And uh, so you do the same thing with, with deer. You just go cross cut and you get this marrow middle and then this kind of a meat donut and you braise it and that and and a braised shank you know you think about the shank being just a really rough piece of meat that'll barely go through the grinder but if you braise that for four or five hours at 300 degrees it turns into this perfect you know soft roast that is is really hard to beat the first time I serve that for people they're like you're gonna eat what you know, it's like yeah. <laughs> a lot of people just throw it away or grind it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or they want or they'll try to run it through their grinder and it'll, you know, it's frustrating to even do that. But if cuts like that, you know, kind of the secret cuts, you know, I, I had friends forever that would uh in our area knew that I love that and they would drop them by and say, I, I dropped off all these shanks. I'm like, I'll take them. And then I made the mistake of serving it to some of them. They're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're not getting any more shanks from us, you know. Yeah, but, I've been cooking shanks venison shanks for a long time because my family's my father's side is greek so they yeah. do the, the lamb the lamb shanks so i've kind of been following the greek recipe for lamb shanks for a long time oh yeah man it just melts in your mouth when you cook it like you said low and slow and it is absolutely delicious that. incredible yeah that's a, that's probably one of our favorite dishes is doing you know any kind of shank that's braised uh i know that uh you know the austrians do it with like uh sauerkraut which i've done done that way um then you can do asabuco style which is more of an italian style yeah i haven't had that yet i've heard of it but i don't yeah i haven't had it yeah, you'll have to send me I'd, I'd love to cook cook a greek version of that that'd be awesome yeah yeah cool i'll do that and at, when i was in greece um you mentioned about go, goat hunting 
uh, and I'm talking about domestic goats, but I was in a restaurant there in this tiny little town up in the mountains. And, and uh, I'd mentioned to somebody that I'd never had goat. And it was like, it was like the proverbial, like, like the old record player with it scratches across. Like <laughs> everybody stops talking like, what? You've never had goat. <laughs> Are you sure you're Greek? You know? And then, and then the very next day, uh, the owner of the restaurant was friends of the family. And the very next day he had goat on the menu just for me and whoever, oh, you know, cool. I didn't eat the whole goat obviously, but sure. um, he heard me say that. And then the next day, I'm sure he just slaughtered a goat that morning and prepared it, probably cooked it all day. <laughs> and it yeah. was like roast beef. It was so good. Yeah. I, th I, th I think it's very underrated. Of course, I, the guys who I know who've, who've killed, uh, you know, kind of feral goats, like in Hawaii and stuff, if they shoot one of those big billies, it's probably going to be pretty rough, kind of like shooting a big giant, you know, bull elk or something. At times, those those can be a little rough. But um, the, the goat, like goat curry, is a is a is another dish that I've I, I've had and like, you know. And you can do all kinds of things with curry dishes, and and um, it it's got its own flavor profile. It's really you know it's, mm -hmm. it's really powerful. Uh, I'm sure cooked. Greek style was even better, you know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. To me it is, but yeah. So, um, you had a, a pretty big, pretty eventful deer season or hunting season. I should say you hunted moose. Where was that again in Alaska? In, no, British Columbia, British Columbia. And was yeah. that a bow hunt? I don't remember. Was that a rifle hunt? Well, it was a bow hunt for a, a week. Um, the goal was to shoot one with a bow. I, I really worked hard to get a bow shot. Um, 66 miles in about seven days of walking to try to find to try to get in bow range wow and uh, i had a i had a a small like spike fork um within um, 50 yards but with my recurve it's just too far so uh day seven uh finished up with a 15 mile walk and no no shot and uh so my my guide troy who's just a phenomenal fella just a good guy he guided me to a mountain goat hunt, uh, to a mountain goat in 2014. I shot it with my longbow. And um, we had talked about it beforehand. He's like, are you comfortable moving to a rifle once rifle season starts? And at first I was, I didn't even take a rifle up there. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good with my bow. But after a week of just grinding it out and not really having much action, he walked in and said, give me your bow. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm going to, so he gave me his gun and, and then I thought we were going moose hunting because I didn't know if I was in the kind of shape I would need to be to hunt mountain goats. But he flipped the script on me a little and said, okay, we're not having any luck finding moose. I know we can find some goats. So we, we went, uh, the next day we glassed up some mountain goats and, uh, started a six and a half hour climb to get into, into mountain goat range. And there was one particular, just a giant billy up there. And uh, above um, a bunch of nannies and kids, so it was it was pretty perilous. Mountain goat hunting is not for the faint of heart, you know. It's yeah. It, I, I wasn't in as good a shape as I would have liked to have been, but I did it. And looking back, it it worked out perfectly because we we made a, a hard climb. We used a avalanche chute to, to let us slide in to stay out of their way so that we could get above them. And um, found my goat, made a good shot, but unfortunately they fall. <laughs> so yeah. he took a really bad fall that. and busted his headgear. Dang. But 
it's all right. My wife wanted a rug, you know. Yeah. So, and it's really thick, thick hair. It's a beautiful goat. It it would have been knocking on the door of Boone and Crockett. Wow. And uh, did you did you recover the points or or no? Yeah, I got it. I got one side. The other side was just mangled and busted up. So what I'm doing is I'm taking the other side and building an epoxy version of it. Yeah. So that I can make like a little skull mount out of it. Um, and you know, it would have been cool to have that photo of this, you know, giant Billy and all that. But the bottom line was, you know, I, I, at 51, that was a really hard hunt for me. And, uh, you know, it was spiritual, you know, really, cause you're, you're doing something that's so incredibly hard. And then, you know, after, you know, the shot and it's, it's kind of anticlimactic, you know, you've, you've got an animal down and the work begins. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but just feeling the whole hunt was just amazing. And then coming off the mountain was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like really, you know, eight and a half hours down. Uh, Yeah, it was packs with full packs. I'm sure full packs. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, it was getting, you know, you want to get off the top. Of course there's grizzly bears. You got to do, you know, you're worried about that. And there's, you know, there's other, other things you got to worry about, but you want to get off the top and at least get down to the valley floor before dark, just because there's just, it's too treacherous. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so we made it to the valley floor and I was thinking, you know, Hey, a couple hours, we'll be back. But it was like another, uh, four and a four and a half, five hour walk out of there. And I was pretty slow by that point, man. I was, I was cooked. That's <laughs> 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 I'm so scared of heights, just even the physical, I think I could train to do it physically, but I'm so afraid of heights. I just, that would be a nightmare hunt for me. Not a, not a dream hunt. Like a lot of guys talk about, but just cause was, you know, like, Oh my, you know, like just, I get yeah, nervous climbing a, a step ladder. Yeah. There were a couple of times, um, you get into some loose shale and stuff and you start sliding a little and yeah, you know, the pucker factor kicks in, <laughs> you know, yeah. then there was, we, we got to where there was some snow. We had to traverse a little snow patch to get to some timber to really set up the shot because we kind of had an idea where he would be. And man, I started sliding in that snow. I didn't have crampons on. So I just dug myself, my fingers into the side of the mountain and held on for a second until I could reposition. And then I was able to get out of there. But I, once I got kind of positioned where I could, I was comfortable again, I turned around and looked and it would have been a, I would have been a mess at the bottom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? oh, no. Yeah. That yeah, is no, scary. Yeah, it'd be I'm a closed a, casket, you know. I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have a nightmare tonight for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that same hunt, you know, that same hunt, the, the uh, you know, we, we saw some grizzly bears. Uh, the very next day after my goat hunt, I was wiped out. And uh, Troy's like, how do you feel? And I, I you know, honestly – even though it was a really, really bad, you know, evening, um, I felt pretty good. So he said, okay, we'll do a little short walk. It ended up being like seven miles to try to find a moose. Mm-hmm. And then the very last day, day 10, uh, we knew we had a long walk. We, we, the locals had drawn tags for that area. So we were having, we had some hunting pressure to deal with. And so we covered an additional 15 miles the very last day. And um, we came to the Kootenai River, really famous river. Yeah. And uh, we, I was just telling him, you know, like, hey, man, it's been a great hunt. I killed a goat. And he's the eternal optimist. He's like, we have 30 minutes left. Don't talk like that. And 
Yeah. No sooner did he say that a, a big uh, this bull that I killed, I saw a paddle flash in the in the in the uh, alders, and it stepped out, and I made a shot. Wow. So we had we had a thousand pounds of uh, moose on the ground, <laughs> pretty quick. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's uh, what do they call that? Hail Mary. Yeah. Hail Mary. Thirty plus yeah. thirty minutes. Right. Wow. We had a and then a lot of work. We had to hustle to get down there to get to it. And then it's just he and I. So we ended up and there was a sow grizzly in the area with cubs. We had seen her the day before. So we were a little nervous. Um, you know, we had to leave him overnight. And so the next morning we had to go back and I had hung a, a bright T-shirt in a tree so that I could glass, you know, the moose and make sure there wasn't a bear on it. And luckily there wasn't a bear on it. And we started packing it out. And we was a long 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 pack job but man it was so cool to get all that meat out of there and since i had driven up there instead of flying i was able to drive it all home so oh i didn't know that oh cool yeah is it like a 30 32 hour drive and wow. i slept in the i slept in the cabela's parking lot um they allow overnight camping and i have a rooftop tent so oh spent, nice i spent two nights at the hotel cabela's on the way up and on the way back so. <laughs> nice Great accommodations, I hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, room service, pizza delivery. <laughs> That's right. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I guess, yeah, it makes sense. You can drive there. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's really a cool way to get moose meat back. Yeah, and then yeah, how many how many trips did that take to, to pack out? How many uh, back and forth? Yeah, so it was, one, it was a mile one way. We were able to leave uh, a quad on a logging road. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, each let's see we got we got uh, each bag weighed uh, 40 pounds so we had 10 bags of 40 and then we had um, the head and the head and the horns weighed 110 pounds because I weighed that when we got back because I had to wow. carry that out unbelievable so we, had a, we had a mile so we, we took um, 80 pounds uh, we left the head um, we, we kept moving the meat caching it further and further away from the kill site to keep the bears off of it so um we were able to get uh get most of it uh maybe four or five hundred yards away and then packed it out the last part man was like a um a climb out of the like a river bottom you know it's got this real steep bank and it was maybe 200 yards of climbing with all that stuff on your back it was bad it was so bad oh, yeah. all of my toenails fell off like they all turned black Oh my gosh. From all the, just the trauma to my feet. Uh, at one point, um, I was, I think it was the day after the goat hunt. Yeah. I took, uh, I took some super glue and squirted it underneath my nail. So, and then pressed it down and then put some tape over the top of it. Cause that, that nail was coming up and my boots were broken in and everything. It was just a lot of trauma on your feet. You know, I'm still kind of feeling it. I'm still having a little bit of foot pain, but that pack out of that moose meat was, it was epic I and mean, we were we were done we got we got up to the road and just laid there for a long time like i'll bet i'm gonna yeah. feel this tomorrow you know i'll never complain about a deer drag again <laughs> yeah that's what i said we're <laughs> <laughs> packing a pig out <laughs> oh yeah yeah it it was you know 80 and 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 troy my my friend and guide there he's just he's a horse you know he's he's about my size we, we were kidding each other that helps 
Yeah, we were like saying, hey, some guys are built for speed. We're just built for carrying heavy stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's good to guide good guide to have on a hunt like that for sure. Yeah. And then how did your um just switching gears a little bit, how did your deer season go then this year? It really I had a really good year. Um I was chasing one particular deer uh, that that made it and he's a giant. I mean he's 180s type deer but I had two or three others that I had um really tried to you know I said if if they were older I I love to hunt I'm very I'm spoiled rotten in the fact that I live in southern Illinois and and we've got you know lots of age structure whitetail there so they you know they get pretty big you know you can you can hold out and shoot a four and a half year old deer uh most years if you're if you're like me and you get lots of time to hunt Mm -hmm. so I have a rule with, with, with bow hunting, you know, if, if they're four and a half years old and they're in range and I've got a tag, I'm shooting them. And, uh, this year, a buck that I knew very well, uh, the second week of November came by and, and, uh, I had really worked at, I had a little bit of target panic. I developed target panic. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I started competing is that I had a couple of instances, one on it took me seven years, I think, to draw a, a bull elk tag in uh, Unit 7 of Wyoming. And then I flubbed up a shot on a, a 380 bull or, you know, just a giant bull. And so it started this, uh, I, I just wanted to figure it out. I wanted to figure out why someone at time, you know, when they're hunting, why do they get so anxious and why can't they just shoot the shot, you know? Mm-hmm. or why do they rush it why are they you know so it was it's been this is the first year when that buck came in this year and i've i've been very fortunate i've killed four boone and crockett deer this deer was not a boone and crockett deer but he's an old age structured deer when he came in and gave me a 24 yard shot the process of shooting i walked myself through it like a competition mm. and it was still exciting and it was still fun but when that arrow left the bow i knew that it was going to be a lethal shot and i watched him go down in sight you know wow uh, it ended up being like a about 150 inch whitetail so it was a really good whitetail great buck yeah. yeah yeah i always say that and you see this in some of the videos where just because a, a deer's antlers are bigger than the other buck doesn't mean that he's the, the boss right yeah i mean a lot of times oh, it's body yeah. size and oh, you know yeah it's not the way we classify trophy deer especially it's just it's based on inches as opposed to like who's the bigger stud yeah and really i've had two different deer i've got two deer right now that i'm doing um i'm doing mounts on or my 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 taxidermist is and neither one of those bucks will score 150 they're both in the 140 so we talk about a score but they were both dominant giant white they the both both deer owned the farms that they lived on and I'm they sure. were pushing out they were pushing out 160 170 inch deer no problem because mm-hmm. they were the bully bucks one of them i shot um with a decoy and uh so he was i was in a ground blind i built a hay bale blind and i put a decoy out there and i got a little bit of video of him walking in and he was just doing your classic you know postured up he looked like um, a middle linebacker that was just getting ready to hit a little quarterback, you know, Yeah. when I shot, when I shot him 
And uh, I had an artist friend of mine, Jack Plew. I don't know if you know Jack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know him personally, but I, yeah. I like his work a lot. Yeah. Great guy. He uh, he was with me or he was uh, hunting with me then. And uh, I shot him and, and we tracked him and, and got to him. And, and that's what we were talking about, just how how magnificent, how big this deer was. And he didn't have a huge rack. I mean, it's the game of, of hunting mature deer, um, you know, like people like like our friend Dalton who hunts mountain deer, right. um, you know, they're hunting mountain bucks and Nathan Killen and those guys, you know, they have my utmost respect because they're hunting old mountain deer. Yeah. They may not score 140 or whatever you want to, whatever number you want to give them, but I guarantee you they've seen a few things, you know? Yes. And then those bucks are the king of the hill there. Oh yeah. For sure. You know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Jack Jack Palou, I like his work a lot. I'm very, um, being an artist, I uh, have a critical eye, but I love. Yeah. I've yet to see one picture he's done that I don't love. You know. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's he's been a friend of mine for quite some time. He he had a he had me take some photos of uh, me kind of squatted down uh, with my longbow. I was shooting a a three piece longbow at the time, and and he was. He, you're like this too, Jim. So I know he's got that artist kind of something will catch his eye and it's like he has ADD or something. It's like he, he can't focus. He has to, whatever he's doing, he has to focus on, on that color or whatever he saw. So he, uh, he, you know, had me squat. He ended up doing an elk, a bugling elk. And he's got me in the, in the uh, painting stuck in the bushes in my, in my crouch nice like, i'm like you know that is really cool because no that's, one else knows that's me you know but yeah I got yeah to do the model and that's that's kind of neat you know i gotta look for that one yeah it's pretty good very cool and then uh what's your what was your gear on this this hunt this year because you, you don't you should, yeah, i assume I, your shoots different things than you compete with right different type oh, of yeah, bows definitely, definitely um this year was pretty neat i had a my other i have a, a another friend monty browning um, we've been friends for, we, we hunt together some, I've been pig hunting with him. He's been to my place to deer hunt. He gave me a 1974 bear mag takedown. Same age mm -hmm. as my wife. It's a classic, right? It's, yeah. Magne <laughs> magnesium gave, riser. That's right. He gave me that and uh, he put his name on it. Cause he says, you trade and give away more bows. He goes, I'm putting my name on this. So you won't give it to anybody. <laughs> so I sent him a picture like a month later and I painted over it. I repainted it. I'm like, see, your name's not on there anymore, but. Oh no. Uh, that's what I, but that's, I won't ever give that. That bow is, is going to be with me forever. But um, yeah, that's what I shot it with. And uh, I was, I was only shooting. Uh, I shoot a really heavy arrow to hunt with. I just, I like having more arrow mass. I rarely shoot past 25 yards and my style of shooting is, I have a point on of about 25 yards and then I play gaps in between. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it was 46 pounds at 30 inches and mm -hmm. a 650 grain arrow with a two, two blade uh, single bevel. And it did the trick, man. That, what, that what been, uh, I think it, this one was a grizzly, I think, but I, I go back and forth between uh, grizzlies and uh, tough heads um it uh that setup that same setup i've shot bears with elk with uh deer mule deer it's just kind of my go-to setup and uh 
yeah, it's pretty slow. I mean, it's it's uh, not a very fast arrow, but it puts holes in them, puts two holes in them. That's what you want. Exactly, for sure. And it's easier to practice with, right, than, than if you're shooting 65 pounds or... Yeah, yeah. I, I think the efficiency of, of, recur- of, of any bow, if you have a well-tuned setup and um, you're you're comfortable and and my holds when i shoot i'm not a snap shooter by any stretch Mm -hmm. i get a sight picture so i'll draw anchor get my sight picture and shoot so it's not a very fast shot and uh having that little bit lighter weight helps it and i i haven't had any trouble with arrow penetration or you know any any problems the only critter that i have trouble penetrating is a stinking turkey yes they're Dalton like and I were just rip. talking about that the other day on that Georgia hunt. We're like, that's yeah. the hardest bird. That's the hardest animal to penetrate is a turkey. Yeah. yeah. You hit them in the wing butt or anywhere, really. I mean, it's just feathers just slow everything down. Yeah. Probably they right. get, probably they get pushed a little bit because they're light, you know, so they don't, you know what I mean? I don't know, the physics yeah. of it as we'll opposed breaking, to go ahead. Breaking one down, break down a turkey. Yeah. It's all sinew and it's, I mean, aside from the breast meat and, you know, the, the thighs, um yeah they're dense they're a they dense are. critter they are yeah actually finally on the the ranch that i hunt in south florida there's turkeys back again they started showing up last year i was so excited and then i was up there a few weeks ago and they're already already gobbling i was like really yeah it's like oh my That's god awesome. you know hair on the back of my neck standing up and i've That's got awesome. um a friend coming down um emra oric from uh the bow hunting soul oh yeah podcast okay. he's coming down he's we're gonna do four days of pig hunting and turkey hunting so uh that should be fun over my spring break so that'll be awesome i'm not yeah. a big turkey hunter but this year i'm just kind of because they're showing because i was spoiled for a long time and now they were gone for years and now they're back so i'm like kind of excited about it again so i i've went through a period of time where i was obsessed i mean i shot uh, i shot all four you know north american species with a recurve and um, I was just obsessed. I was going to Nebraska. I was going to Texas. Was, I came down to visit you. It was yeah uh, when the kids were younger. And um, then I kind of took a little break. I've shot a bunch with my recurve and and had a blast doing it. But then I started. My nephew started hunting. Who's he's 16 now. But you know, I started uh, working with him to get him uh, get him turkey hunting and my kids too. But now it's kind of. I think it was two years ago my wife shot her first turkey on our farm so she's uh so now that's she's great. got her own tag so <laughs> yeah very nice that's great what what are your plans uh for this year coming up yeah i've got um i had a i was gonna try to do a bear hunt a spot and stalk bear hunt in british columbia um up there with troy he just uh he has lots of black bears he got quite a few grizzlies which i don't want to run into trying to slip around a logging road but i wanted to i want to yeah. try a pot and stalk bear hunting but i think i'm going to put that off until next year my wife and i are have our 25th wedding anniversary so i think we'll we'll go there and go to banff and uh and and kind of kick around that part of the world um this spring a little more laid back i think i'm going to compete quite a bit i've, I've gotten bitten by this competition bug and and um just going to kind of take it easy for the spring uh definitely turkey hunt i'll be in kentucky turkey hunting i'll be in uh, obviously illinois turkey hunting and then um next fall i have a two-week slotted hunt for uh, elk in idaho oh nice idaho's got a it's a do-it-yourself hunt they've got a pretty neat system 
where they'll have so many tags per unit that are over mm -hmm. the counter. And then once those tags sell out, they're, they're done. I see. You have to jump in um, after the first of the year. I forget the date, but you, you get a, um, you just go into a waiting room and if the tag's still available, you buy it. So I'm going to take two weeks. I've killed five cow elk with a recurve or a longbow and I've never killed a bull. So mm -hmm. I really want to try to get that monkey off my back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Very cool. And then, uh, I was going to ask you about, I typically ask my, my hunting guests, cause I have quite a few fishing guests. I know you're an avid fly fisherman too. Um, yeah. about your, your most memorable or be your best hunt. Can you, can you think of one? Um, I, I think I might know what it is, but I don't, maybe not. So can you, well, can you share that? I've had, I've had so many, I've been so fortunate through the years to have so many opportunities that it, you know, it's hard to, to say what some days I look, I'm very, I'll look, I look at the, uh, the deer mounts and I'll say, man, I've been so fortunate, you know, and, but probably having my wife, uh, help me recover a Boone and Crockett deer that I knew well. So I had his sheds. Um, he went missing. We have really bad EHD in our area. And, uh, I thought he had died of EHD, which is, uh, you know, blue tongue. Right. Was that uh, on your farm or different property? Uh, uh, just a different property North of me. Okay. Yeah. About mm -hmm. just a couple of miles North, but I knew this deer very well. And I was actually hunting with Monty Browning and we, uh, I saw the deer and we played a little cat and mouse. He and I did. And I just had this, uh, this, this gut feeling. I got a wind change and I didn't have a stand and I went to an, an old, I, I was maybe 10 feet off the ground, uh, in an old, uh, ladder stand that, um, with honeysuckle all around it. And I just had this feeling. And I think as a hunter, that's a good feeling to have is, it's, you know, you're playing the odds, you know, the buck's there, you got the right wind, you've done all you can do, but sometimes uh, God works for them too, right? I mean, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. but today he worked, that day he worked for me and uh, um, I really, you know, a deer that I knew well walked into bow range and I made a, a good shot and uh, the next, you know, the next day, uh, Lynette, my wife went with me to find it and it was just a, it's one of those things that it worked out so well. Like it was from God, you know, it was like this, this is one of those times where there's no reason for 180 inch deer to come through a narrow strip of woods unless, you know, you did everything right on your end and someone else was looking after you. So Amazing. it was remarkable, remarkable. That's one of those hunts that it, it left an indelible mark, you know, it's going to stick with me forever. There are many others. This is the beauty of what we do is, uh, it means something to us. I know you're an avid hunter and, and you care about these animals. Uh, you love to hunt, you love to fish. And those, those feelings is why we do it. Yep, for sure. And, you know, and then having children and a wife that supports it and, and, uh, and, you know, like, cause when my son, I was so, you know, I've always been obsessed with hunting and, and fishing and, but you don't know what they're going to be interested, right? There's no guarantee yeah but he's like really into hunting. I mean, much more than I, I didn't force it on him. Right. And he's gone three for three hunting up with uh, Dalton in North Carolina, you know, with me, but on Dalton's places. And it's just been such a great feeling for him that, and it's like a sense of accomplishment of getting a deer, but also like providing meat for the family for the first time, right. you know, it was a 
he was 15 when he got his first one. So yeah, it, just, it meant something. It meant, it meant something, something. To, him to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's going to be in a yearly thing. <laughs> he has, That's he cool. shoots a bow, he shoots a trad bow, but we just haven't, haven't gotten him on a deer yet or a pig even, but it'll happen. Right. I mean, I think that's a, that's one of those things that if you try to force it, sometimes bad things happen. If you yeah. let it organically kind of grow, I think with my, with my son, he killed a, he killed a really big deer with his shotgun. We have a shotgun season in Illinois. He appreciates the, the field to table aspects of it and providing mm -hmm. food and just letting that organically kind of uh, happen is the best thing because I even though he doesn't hunt as much now because he's in college and that type of thing sure I think if you give them what they need they'll come back to it mm -hmm. it sounds like he's Nick he's he's all in <laughs> he's all in yeah for sure yeah he's can't wait to he's actually coming up there to, to uh, North Carolina with us so um it'll be nice cool. to to uh explore some new country and get him on hopefully get him on some deer and certainly small game we like to hunt small game a lot too that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, man. So, Mike, um, anything else you want to say or or uh, share? No, I know people. No, I'm, I'm happy. I uh, just appreciate you asking me. Yeah, that's I, a real honor, man. How? Oh, thanks, man. I I've been asked a couple of times for different uh, podcasts, but I never feel like I'm an expert at anything, right? I mean, I'm just kind of one of those guys that hops around, and I love challenges. I love to push myself. Uh, in, di in different avenues. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate you having me on so that I could talk about all this wide ranging, crazy things we, we both love. Yeah. I bet we could do an MMA. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Two we hours. Could fly fishing and I could learn something, you know? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be, that'd be fun to do sometime too. This all combination. Right. I'm, I've considered myself a generalist. I'm a, you know, love passionate about fly fishing and traditional bow hunting, especially, but, um, I like it all. I like the outdoors. Yeah. I like camping. I'm sure you're the same way. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, just, yeah, just cut for the same cloth, I guess. That's right. Like-minded folks. That's right, man. Okay. Mike, thanks so much. Mike Davenport okay, for coming on. Yes, sir. Take care, buddy. Okay. Take care. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.